Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Blake Haxton. Blake, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Great to be back. Great to have you here again. And our last conversation has really got me thinking. And I'm curious if it has at your end as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been milling around in my brain for, for the last week. And it's been, uh, it's been good. I've had a lot of... I feel like I'm connecting a lot of dots around you know, how you, your worldview and how it impacts your... You know, how you prioritize, how you operate in the environment, and how it, how it manifests in your own personal life. So anyway, we can get into all that, but it's been it's been stimulating. Well, let's get into that. I, I'm, do you mind sharing some of the top level stuff or details or whatever comes to mind? Um, no, I mean, I, you know, one of the one of the things I guess that's that's sort of come to the surface for me is you know this this idea that one of the things that I want, you know, hopefully whatever reputation or leg- you know, legacy more important than reputation. You know what you know what you did is you know i think it's a great goal that we should all you know leave it better than you found it right and i think we can apply that to our own lives right whatever small or big circumstance we find ourselves in and i think you can apply that to other people too you know do if i interact with someone i want to leave that person you know better off than you know i arrived at it and obviously in the environment that's got a whole lot of implications and that's just something that i've kind of been revisiting over and over you know for the last week of you know, what does that mean and how do I define better and better for who and why and how do I prioritize that? And that's something that I've kind of been wrestling with, uh, with over the last week, I guess, is that balance between, you know, like one of the reasons that I think the environment is, well, this is what the understatement of the year is important. The environment's important and the environment should be taken care of. It's because it's, it's going to be used by other people. And, you know, I, you know, not that I think we should go screwing it up, but I don't care that much about the environment on Mars because no one's on Mars. You know, I kind of realized that all of my, not, no, not all, actually, not all. I think, you know, nature is sort of a good in and of itself, but in my own mind, it's, it's well below the good of other individual human beings. And I think animal welfare is important. I don't mean to dismiss like, you know, some of those issues, but, but for me, it really is, okay, what, let's, let's take care of the earth for the other humans that are here and will come after us and the, the life that is attendant on that. And of course that creates all these really interesting, and you mentioned this last time, all these really interesting conflicts feels like a strong word, but these balances, right. Of saying, well, okay, if we, you know, if we do X, then we have to, you know, we're always trying to optimize, right. I guess that's the word that comes to mind for me is you know, we can't, you know, as you said, we can't just wave a magic wand much as we wish we could and have a lot of these things. There's always trade-offs. And, you know, here I am telling the physicists there's trade-offs, right? Like, you know, um, of course you know that. But, uh, you know, in my own mind, I've kind of thought, okay, well, that's going to involve a really, a lot of thinking around what's the, you know, what's my priority list? What's my hierarchy of goods in terms of prioritizing things and people and the environment? And I haven't come to a conclusion on that yet but it's just i've found that it's i suspect it's going to be a very useful framework in thinking through how to solve some of these challenges going forward and as we talked about not just with not just as a societal level of you know where where's our energy going to come from i mean obviously that's a pressing question that we're all wrestling with but you know what about what about the food i consume how am i going to be healthy and sustainable i mean you know and, and i i mean that and, and as i know you mentioned this the broadest sense of the term how do i you know, not only do I want my to be able to go back to the same spot to get more food, so to speak, but I want that food to sustain me. You know, I want that to you know have a positive impact on myself. And obviously, you can sort of go in the concentric circles out from there and say, okay, what's the what's the, what are the second and third derivatives of that impact? So anyway, I'm I'm going on and on here, but hopefully you 
hopefully it sounds like it really did get me, get me thinking. Well, I forgot everything you said before the second and third derivatives because I got so excited hearing math terms. <laughs> Better promise I won't do it again. <laughs> I love that you jumped right in. I mean, it sounded like your main focus was your personal actions, but your values. I mean, when you talk priorities, I mean, to me, that's what are my values. And most people just start with the energy part or they start with the pollution in the ocean part. And they say, well, if I don't have a solution that can clean all the plastic out of the ocean, it's not worth even starting. How come you didn't start there? Because I think to start with, it took me a long time to get to my actions can make a difference. I can start a chain reaction. You know, it's interesting. I, uh, so I, I definitely get bogged down with the same, same type of thoughts at times where you say, okay, I can't, it's very, very easy to say, well, I can't quote unquote solve this problem. And that, you know, it's very discouraging. Uh, and in some sense it is, you know, I can't cure the world's ills, but something that I've, I've learned through experience after getting sick was, so if I, if I back up and I kind of go back to when I was first, you know, first getting out of the hospital, really maybe figuring out what my life was going to look like after my amputations, I felt so helpless, you know, it just felt like everything was this, this huge lift and this huge effort to get anything to, I mean, you know, getting out of bed type thing, sitting up straight, that kind of thing. And I say, I learned experientially that even those little things, you know, the first day was sitting up straight in bed. And let's say the, the next day was, you know, okay, go to, go to physical therapy. And the next day was, you know, you know, go to school. And here I am 10 years later, 12 years later, and I'm fully employed and I've competed in two Paralympics and I'm, you know, having this conversation with you and you have to relive the timeline we've already gone down, but I unintentionally from my end, I've seen that very small steps that are accomplishable. Um, you know, somebody said, you know, great, uh, small deeds done are better than great deeds planned. And I've seen that I've, I've been the beneficiary of that. I've, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew. And I've seen how that can snowball over time into a very, very big, uh, big impact. I mean, it certainly appeals to me. I think we, we touched on this as, as an athlete, right? Like one of the reasons I like my sport is because if you just put, you know, a couple pennies in the jar every day, eventually you'll be rich and it'll just, it just compounds. And so anyway, to backtrack, I don't have a problem looking at small, small solutions, so to speak. I kind of get excited about that. I really like, and I know this is not, you don't hear this word in a positive light very much right now. And I, I get why, but I look on incrementalism very positively. I have a very positive view of that, just in the sense, exactly as you mean it, as well, that might be all we're really capable of, at least in the short run. And you know, a lot of times, big changes are just a, the, the only way to make big changes are as a function of a lot of small changes. And so I get excited about all those things. You know, I like, you know, I like, as I said, I like saving a little bit of money. You know, no, I'm not going to retire off of my, you know, you know, whatever, 12, you know, a few bucks I put in a, you know, investment account or whatever. But I get excited about that because I know that if I just keep doing that, if I'm persistent with it, it'll, it'll help. Um, Same thing with exercise, same thing with cleaning your house, same thing with, you know, anything, straightening up your room, all those things. Um, So anyway, to your point around values. If I try to reduce it down and I say, okay, how can I leave this place better than I found it? You know, how can I leave the environment I woke up in today better when I went, go to sleep? And I don't get that right every day, certainly. But for me, it kind of you know, jolts me into this, okay, what do I want to be able to say I did by the time I went to bed? 
And can I point to something that was improved? Maybe it was I took out the trash. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to joke around here. Like sometimes that's a got something done that day. Okay, good deal. Keep keep doing it. So anyway, I, I don't know. I'm I'm throwing a lot out there, but I, I'm trying to hint at the direction of, as I say, the, the conversation we had was stimulating. And I think you're I really appreciate your approach by saying, you know, we're really focusing on values. We're really focusing in on what matters to you as an individual and where it ranks in terms of all the things that could matter. And there are lots of those. And and that's just it's a it's a complex conversation. It's not a short conversation. It involves a lot of uh, I mean, certainly for me, it involves a lot of, you know soul searching, so to speak, to try and figure out, okay, what really makes a difference to me over the the short and the long term. I'm curious if that connection from the little to the snowballing, I wonder if that's something that comes from sports because, you know, hitting one ground stroke is not going to get you to Wimbledon, but you're not going to get there without hitting them. And that's well said before the NBA finals, they're practicing free throws. Wait, isn't that what you start on day one? Why would they, shouldn't they practice the, the big stuff? Mastery never takes you past the basics. I wonder, do you also, if you look at incrementalism as a positive, what do you think of when you hear moonshots? I mean, certainly there have been moonshots. We've made it to the moon. No question. Yeah, I get that's a great point. So I, I and I don't, uh, you know, by by saying I'm a big fan of incrementalism, I have in no way want to downplay the importance of swinging for the fences. You know, your moonshots, your grand slams, your your bold actions and and endeavors. Right. I mean. To your point, a lot of human mankind's greatest, you know, achievements, so to speak, or rapid developments have been unlocked by people just going for broke. Now, a lot of times it doesn't work, but a lot of times it does. And I in no way mean to say that one is better than the other, so to speak. I mean, I think the moonshots are great, but and I don't full stop. Those are those are great. But I guess as it pertains to me, I just don't know that I have that kind of personality. And and I say that this is gonna sound strange, but I, like when I was in Tokyo, I had this, I was kind of joking with my coach one day and he's, he's built the same way, but I said, you know, all this said, I'm getting a little annoyed being over here for two and a half weeks. All of this competing is getting in the way of my training. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, and I, obviously, as, as you pointed out, the reason you train is to compete, but there is this piece of me. It's like, man, I had this, I was really doing great. I was, I was improving every day and I was really getting faster. And now I've got to take time off and actually race. Uh, and again, I, I, at one level, that's kind of ridiculous, but it's what feeds me as a, you know, it's what excites me. What's, it, it's what gets me out of bed. You know, I like, I'm, I'm going to extend this analogy to the absurd, but yeah, you know, I don't need to swing for the, the home run. Like if I can get walked and get on base, I'm thrilled. Like, Hey, I got a base. I didn't even have to swing. This is great. You know, like to me, it, that's like the most, that's the most underrated event in sports is the walk. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And I look at that and I just, I look around when something like that happens and I realize that I get way more excited than everyone else does. Uh-huh. And, or at least it seems that way. And I, again, I think that informs just, I do think it's to some, it's to some extent it's learned and to some extent, extent, I think it's probably hardwired that that's just kind of the way I've been able to succeed and what I like doing. I think it comes from risk aversion, to be honest with you. Fear of failure is a big piece of it. And, you know, I don't have, you know, again, I'm, I have sort of this like classically, so to speak, conservative attitude of like, you know, you, you find a fence in the woods and you, you stop and you ask why it's there before you tear it down kind of personality. And I'm not the guy that's going to get us to the moon. You know, I'm just not because I'm not going to put people on a rocket that could blow up and kill them. Like, you know, and, but 
but man, we really need those people too. But, you know, it's like what the, was written over the Oracle at Delphi when you wanted to know your future. It was know thyself. And here I am at 30. And when I, the things I know about myself to be successful and make it the biggest impact are that I can do things sort of linearly. Uh, so anyway, I'm really running in circles around this point, but huge fan of both. And I think, I think it takes both. And I think society works best when we have both. I mean, I benefit every day from people that, you know, I could tell you how many different therapies or devices or medicines I am alive because of, because somebody took a big, you know, there was no incrementalism in what they did. It was, we're going to figure out how to you know make this heart pump outside of his body or we won't, but it'll work. So anyway, I, uh, I think both are crucial and it just depends on the individual. A big shift that uh, you commented on a shift that I've gone through, or I'm still going through is moving from focusing on, on values that, I mean, the climate is not, I mean, it, it does change on its own to some degree, but the change that we're seeing now is human caused. And let's say carbon dioxide doesn't act on its own. It, it has no volition. It has no choice. It reacts to our behavior. Our behavior comes from our values, our, our culture and our values. And if we, if we don't change that, we don't get the results. And that's a, I, it took me a long time to reach that, that it's like the values is what to focus on. And that's not to stop people from developing a more efficient solar panel, but most people can't do that. But the other big shift that I, I've just started is this podcast was originally called Leadership in the Environment. And I focused on leadership and I realized not many people actually want to be leaders, which I, it struck me as it, it's still it's hard for me to get that, but a lot of people view it as sticking their neck out. They might Sure. They're putting their reputation at risk, and also it's a distraction from putting their kids through college, right? And and all you know, all the equivalent things. And I'm switching from focusing on leadership to work, focusing on teamwork. And the way that you're talking now, you value the moonshots, and that's not you, but you don't want to do nothing. You're right. And not only do you do not want to do nothing, you want to act on your values. It makes me think of, I don't know. The first thing that I thought of was Victory Gardens in World War II. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we need to storm Normandy. Sure. And we need someone putting the bolts on the on the machine line, on the assembly line to make the tank. And we need someone making the vegetables in their garden. And one of the great things about teams, of course, we in the highlight reels, we see LeBron or Djokovic or whoever. I guess tennis isn't really as much a team sport, but like we see that in the highlight reels, we see the, the stars generally, LeBron. But everyone is a part of it. Even the guy who doesn't get off the bench for the whole game, you know, the coach, the coach doesn't even step on the court and not, not while the ball's in play and doesn't put a ball in the hoop at all. And yet plays a very important role, but even, you know, why does, why is there home, home field advantage? Because the fans make a difference. Oh yeah. And that's absent. I think from the environmental movement, if that's the right word is involving everyone, even a fan. I mean, you can be a fan who just sits there and watches passively, or you can cheer and get everyone around you to cheer. Right. You know, I, it's funny. Have you ever, as you mentioned that, have you ever come across a book called the captain class? I haven't. By chance it, well, I won't, won't go into it. It's a, it's a catalog of debatably the most successful professional and international level teams of the 20th century and what set them apart. And the punchline, as you can tell, is they, there was always one individual that joined the team that was the onset of their success. And then ended up departing the team five, 10 years later, that was the end of sort of this dynasty period. And one of the things that's so interesting is that it's, it's never the star player. 
and a lot of the characteristics of these individuals that sort of gird these teams for success is very few people really knew who they were and they they had that sort of anyway just i wholeheartedly endorsed the book it was fascinating but it actually did shift my mindset to the thing you're speaking about which is you know stardom's great leadership is critical but leadership a lot of times doesn't take the form that we think it does in my opinion at least the form we talk about and that that level of teamwork is so crucial like you said i mean again i come from you know a, a pure team sport so to speak in rowing and that there are no highlight reels and you've got to do it with each other which is one of the things that really appealed to me about it but i, I think you're right there's there's not a you know if we can't so here's here's something i was thinking about after our last talk is and just at the moment and i think you know i don't think this is a controversial thing to say it feels like our communities in small and grand sense are so divided right now it just feels like you know roll at each other's throats all the time at least it feels like that to me and you know just you know not personally i you know my personal relationships are great but man any media you consume is just ugly but as you say okay well maybe instead of you know making you know we have to incorporate to your point our values and make it a community effort and involve everyone and, and demonstrate why this is a positive thing to be involved in and then include each other in it as opposed to making each other out to be the bad guy. And one of the things I really appreciate about your approach is you know you don't you don't bring people on here and I mean okay for example I'll just use myself you know as a you know 30 year old employed guy who competes internationally at rowing like my carbon footprint is hilariously higher than the average human being on earth like there's just you know that's what it is. But you know you don't bring people like me on here and you know beat us about the head and shoulder <laughs> head and shoulders for for that. It's like hey let me you know have you thought about this? You know, what's the, you know, okay, well, let's, let's take stock of things. Let's, let's think about that. And, you know, does that, first of all, does it align with your values and to the extent it doesn't, can you, is there any way to reorganize that? And that's the right way to have that conversation, you know, because and you mentioned something like this last time, because, you know, if you brought, I mean, again, I could, I could bring people and I think it is super cool. You're sailing to your next Ted talk in England, by the way, that is. Well, that one's going to be online. So I, I tried to sail, but it's, okay. It's, All right. Well, I'm gonna tell. But I will make sailing. it there. Look, yeah. <laughs> I'm for the for the purposes of this anecdote, and when I tell people about this in the future, I'm gonna mention you sailing because I think that's awesome. But but I was thinking about that in my own life, and I thought, well, you know, the fact of the matter is, if if I don't take an international long haul flight, then I can't compete at my sport. Neither can anyone else. You know, there's not enough time to be employed and do these kind of you know events. But now that doesn't answer the question. Maybe that's maybe that means the event shouldn't happen. I don't mean to you know dismiss that, but but you know you're not coming in saying you know if you if we start the conversation by saying okay we've got to cancel the Paralympics and I'm taking it to extreme just to make the point. It's like well no one's going to listen. You know no no that's not going to you know people aren't going to engage with that that kind of a thing. And I think we've seen that. I think people feel feel that it's personal. They feel it attacked. And, and as you said, most people you know most people are worried about putting their kids through college. You know, they're not, they're not trying to, you know, cut down the Amazon or, or, you know, increase the size of the Sahara desert, although those things are happening, but you know, they're, they're not, they're not necessarily a felt need yet. And expanding that awareness of the impact we have, and then reorienting ourselves within it, I think is such an important part of the discussion. And then saying, Hey, here's how we can all kind of pull together on this one, you know, as opposed to isolating people and making them out to be the bad guy. Anyway. See where I go on that. I just I really appreciate your perspective on that and and what you're doing there. 
And I, that really resonated with your point around leadership versus teamwork and how those incorporate with each other. I, uh, I think that's, that's really a critical way to actually gaining some real ground. You remind me of a conversation I had with my mom. I mentioned our, our conversation to, and, and she goes, oh, so he's just back from the Olympics. And I go, yeah. And she goes, well, how did he get there? <laughs> oh, man. Like, check me, right? And, uh, yeah, right. No. So I didn't engage it with her on that one. But yeah, sure. I expect that if people aren't flying, well, there's zero question that people aren't going to be flying around in the future like they are now. Oh, yeah. I had a guest on the podcast. It hasn't gone up yet, but by the time this is up, it will be. And he's the chief engineer of a, an electric plane company. Hmm. And to fly from America to Europe is not going to happen by batteries. I mean, if it ever happens, it's not going to be within our lifetimes. I've been told that, you know. And if we want to go there, we're going to have to, like, maybe with a stopover in Greenland. But now every flight, there's going to be this huge bottleneck. Like, that means most people aren't going to go. And the plane is only, only going to hold, like, a small number of people. And they're going to have to get off and switch to another plane, which fossil fuels are wonderful in the amount of energy they can hold in a small amount of volume. Sure. And how much energy they can deliver very quickly, which batteries right. can't do. Okay. So if the Olympics don't happen, then, well, here's a funny thing. If a plane is supposed to make our lives better, people have been rowing boats for 10,000 years. How does it happen that a plane makes it impossible to row? That's not the case. I mean, people will be rowing 10,000 years from now, assuming we make it, assuming that we're alive 10,000 years from now. Right. They're probably not going to be flying. So it would be weird if a technology is supposed to improve our lives makes our lives worse, if we become dependent on it. Well, on that point, I hear, I read you loud and clear. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think social media might have been that thing. I think we're learning more about that one every day, just in, this, in the scheme of technology that was supposed to make our lives better that made it worse. But but you know, to your point around you know values, and you know how do you orient yourself? You know, I mean, I, as I think about, it, for the record, I don't particularly enjoy being on planes. To your point around flying, like I won't. You know, if you told me I could do these things and never get on a plane again, I wouldn't really miss it. You know, it's not a, uh, you know, it's not an intrinsic good. Let's say, you know, I don't enjoy it for its own sake. I think if we're all around in ten thousand years, I I think there probably will be nation states. It just doesn't seem to me like human being, like the global village idea that human nature really jives with that very well, tragically. But I just, you know, I think it'll be more peaceful, to be honest with you, just because that's the trend we've seen recently. And I think there's reason to think that'll continue. But for whatever reason, and I feel this, most people feel this, being able to compete for your nation, your group, your region, whatever the case is, against others is so powerful. I mean, it's almost an instinct. It's kind of how I've come to think about it, that we'll find a way to do that is how I'm picturing it. I mean, people will go through, I mean, I, I gave up, I say I gave up, but I did, you know, seven, eight years of my life sitting on a rowing machine just so I could put on that USA and go compete against guys who were not the USA. And anyway, that's another thing I've been thinking about this week that I'm still rattling around in my head is why do I feel so strongly that I want to do that? And apparently that those guys feel the same way. So to your point, there has to be a greater discussion, I think. And I don't think we've done a great job of describing why these motivations are what they are. And until we can describe them, we can't compare them, right? Does that, does that make sense? As you mentioned, okay, well, what's the, you know, like, how do you get there? Well, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? And until we can accurately describe why it is, well, first of all, what we're doing, and second of all, why, then comparing one as better than the other is is really a non-starter. So that, 
I'm really only asking a question. I'm not trying to come to a conclusion. Does that resonate at all? Well, I think, I mean, I'm, the word tribal comes to my mind a lot, that we're very tribal. We love, oh, yeah. like, take a group of people and randomly assign them to groups, and they'll just start being in those groups. And they'll be like, oh, we're better than they are. Right. And it doesn't always have to come to blows. That tends to happen no. when, when they start running out of food and sure. competing for it. When I think of, when I was, after I talked to my mom, I was thinking, and I thought about this before, if there were no Olympics, I think most people's actual... Your experience of the Olympics is very different because you were competing. But the overwhelming majority of people, the experience is to watch it from a couch. I think if there weren't Olympics, I think people would play more sports. I think the net participation mm. of physical activity would increase in the world. Because as you say, we want to do these tribal things. I think a lot of technology is really decreasing our experience, our direct experience of what we used to call living. I, you know, I guess my, my gut reaction is, I, so I agree... Well, I definitely agree that if there was no TV, we'd play more sports. Mm. That seems self-evident. Now, if there were not, I'm a little more hesitant to think that if there weren't, you know, we take wouldn't your have pick. the extreme. We wouldn't reach the physical limits. I think the human, like the Usain Bolts, you know, we wouldn't. He would just be the best in some little group. Yeah, right. Fast. You know, I mean, that's the Olympics in particular is maybe not. You're right. There's a different dimension to it. You know, faster, higher, stronger. You know, the Olympic motto right? There is this curiosity of how far can we push the human frame in a given dimension? You know, to your point, I, me, nor literally anyone else on the planet will ever do what Simone Biles can do or Usain Bolt. But if you switched their sports, they'd be, they'd be bad, mm -hmm. right? Which is so interesting, but they're both Olympic champions. So there's an element to that, but the ought to think about that more, you know, what will we replace it with? Uh, I am cynical enough to think that maybe we would just replace it with some other form of, you know, sedentary entertainment as opposed to competing in the sports ourselves. But, you know, maybe not. One of the trends for me, like for me, food is where it all began. My activist activism, my seeking leadership, because I found that I thought that cooking from scratch would be a burden. I thought it would cost more. I thought it would take more time. Instead of it's a joy, it's a connection to family, it's a connection to community much more than I ever believed. And I think that I thought I would, living in Manhattan, within probably 100 yards of where I live, I can probably get 20 different cuisines. And I thought, thought all these chefs are competing with each other. They must be making better and better and better food. But now that I cook myself, I really, they're not, they're competing for, it's to get people back. It's, it's really salt, sugar, fat is what gets people coming back. Right. And volume, which means like put on a giant bed of rice or, or pasta. And I don't want rice and pasta. I want vegetables. Now that I know how to taste them. So take away all these great chefs. And I think you're going to get people cooking from home more. I'm not saying take away the great chefs. No, no, no. But I, my personal I, experience of it is that, is that when I take away the flying, I get more adventure, not less. I get more exposure to culture, not less. And so I think if we took, my, my gut feel is take away the Olympics and we'll get more sports. That, that might be a big leap for a lot of people. And maybe it's off. I mean, I think in some, in some yeah, I don't know. Because, you know, I know so the, a couple things come to mind. One is I do think there are a lot of kids, kids in particular, maybe not adults, that are in certain sports because the Olympics exist. And, you know, a lot of kids got in a pool because they watched Michael Phelps swim. I'm convinced of that. Now, how long they stayed in the pool is a different issue. But I think that's, you know, I think a lot of little girls and, and little boys too saw, you know, Simone Biles do what she did and be like, I want to try that. So there's this another thing I think it was always in July when all of a sudden there's this influx of cyclists on the road. It's like, and they don't look like cyclists. They're not really built to 
be on a bike. Like what on earth? Ah, the tour's on. Mm-hmm. You know, the Tour de France seems to get people. You know, by watching it, people feel like they want to go out and try it. So yeah, I don't know. I I don't have a good answer to that. I mean, I always thought that with watching golf. To be honest with you, that was one that's just like this game is so much more fun to play than to watch, and it's not even that much of an exertion. Why are we not? Oh, anyway, I digress. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I think there's, I think there's some element to it where you're absolutely right. Can we replace entertainment, you know, visual entertainment with physical entertainment, so to speak? That's certainly a big piece of it. But on the flip side, is there a, is there a method of like reminding people what's out there and inspiring them to go do it that also instigates a a behavioral change? See what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think the my focus is on. I think a lot of people think, how will we have the the benefit of the Olympics if we can't fly all around the world? And I think that the way to answer that question is stop flying all around the world and it will happen. Like, I don't, I'm not worried about will people stop at participating in sports if we don't have the Olympics? I do. Want, I mean, I love the Olympics too. I don't want to, I don't want them to go away. I mean, I, the number of it must've been hundreds of thousands of flights. Oh, I mean, yeah, maybe. Well, there was a bunch. Well, I mentioned this, like there's something like five or 10,000 athletes. Each one's got to have a couple coaches and family members. And then there's going to be all the journalists. And it's got to be in the hundreds of thousands. It's a big number. Yeah. And if each one is roughly a ton, one to 10 tons of CO2 emitted per person, that's a lot. Right. Well, and, and, and listen, I mean, you know, the other thing is, as I say this, and I, like, there's, it's not hard for me. You know, like, there's a very clear argument in my mind that they shouldn't happen. I mean, and I don't. Obviously, I participate. I don't, you know, I haven't bought into that, but it, you could convince me, right? That's part of the reason I brought it up is mm-hmm. like, I don't, you know, back to values, you know, let's, I, we can all come up with hypotheticals. There's certainly a scenario in which it's not worth it, right? And that's, that's coming from me who's gotten so much out of it. And, you know, it's hard to say now I've got a medal. So, you know, that's cool. But, but no, I mean, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I, there are, there are certain things that, again, we've got to, compare and, and force rank, so to speak, things we want to accomplish. Now, yeah, the Olympics, and again, we could just include elite level sports, particularly internationally. I don't know that that's going to be replaced just because there is, there's a different dimension to that than I think than competing that you're just not going to get that if it's, I mean, there's something in human beings and I do think this is innate and I don't think we're going to replace it where we want we, we either want to say, I am the best in the world. I am the best there is with no qualifications. And if we can't say that at a given discipline, we will invent a discipline so that someone can say it. We keep doing that. And so anyway, as, as I look down the road to your point, like I wouldn't advocate, like, I don't think a, a policy that, I don't think a policy that did something like, you know, forbid the Olympics from recurring or something like that would ultimately take root because you know what, there was a study out, this was a couple of years ago. And I'm sure you've seen something like this where it was like, you know, if you polled people and said, do you want to, you know, do you care about the environment? And do you believe, you know, do you care about the environment? Do you believe that humans have an impact and human CO2 emissions have an impact on the environment? Something like 70, 80% of people said, yes, this was in the the US. So, okay, big number. It's growing over time. But then the second question was, would you be willing to pay $10 more on your heating bill to reduce emissions? And something like 60% of people said, no. And to your point around values. So we can start putting numbers on these things. And we've got to figure out a way to really 
align those costs while accounting for the human nature because some of these things just aren't going to, you know, whether they should or not, I just don't view them. I'm not optimistic that we can get them done. But I'm pessimistic for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> you well, know, you didn't sound very pessimistic in your TEDx talk. No, no. Well, yeah, no, no. I mean, I I should be be fair. I'm a little, and we could change. The I mean, I yeah, I'm I'm sort of an incurable optimist in a lot of ways, but I'm also an incurable cynic in a lot of ways. And part of that is because I, you know, I I have a view of human nature that yeah, we're capable of greatness, but we're also essentially fallen, so to speak. You know, to use the, the classic term, like there's something wrong with us where we're not going to live up to our own standards. Yeah. You ever heard the microphone test where if you just, if, uh, you know, the, well, I don't know that that's what it's called. I'm inventing that, but I heard someone say once, you know, if you don't think you have a moral, moral code to live by, or you, you don't like someone else's standards, what if, you know, what if you just judged by your own standards and someone got a recording of everything you'd ever said or done and what you said was right or wrong? And just compared your behavior against what you said people should or shouldn't do. Everyone would fail it. Everyone would fail it. I certainly would. So anyway, yeah, I'm, and I, I don't think those are contradictory ideas that I can be optimistic at the same time. I'm, I'm a little cynical or skeptical is a better word than cynical, just skeptical, because I think, I think both are, we're capable of both. And, you know, as you can tell, I'm not a determinist, but. Uh, nor am I a positivist. I think I do think there's such thing as objective moral reality, best as we can discern it, and I think we need to align with what that ends up being. So, anyway, that's sort of the foundation for that. To get back to your point of how can you be optimistic when when all these things are going right? Say, well, you know, I think you know we live in. <laughs> I heard somebody describe a worldview in this way, and it's non-technical, but I really like it. He says, you know, we're all confronted with a few questions: How do we get here? Why is it so screwed up? How do we fix it? Most of life is, is geared towards one of those three, whether we think it think about it or not. And how you answer those three is going to determine what you do. And you can decline to answer them, but you're still going to live them out regardless. And that's what we're all trying to get at. And I think I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting more confident in my answers to those, but um, that's a process too. I've, I've got to learn and grow and all those things. And conversations like this one are huge to that because it gets me out of, yeah, it really makes me take a step back and think about what what the impact of my life is on however many things. Anyway, you see where I'm going with that. I think it's I don't think it's all one or the other necessarily, and I think we can change. When you read the words that I wrote to you, I guess through Frank, or maybe when when I don't I'm I'm not sure if you did you read that original email? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was very kind, by the way. That was my initial reaction was was this guy doesn't know me at all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at that point, I knew your TEDx talk and yeah. um, maybe a couple of articles that were about you. When you saw the words that your message is perfect, is, is what's missing for the world right now on arguably the biggest issue we face, did that ring true to you? Or were you like, he doesn't get it? Or was the environment something you thought about? Or, and compare, like I compared you to Churchill, or I compared your message to Churchill's. So on those dimensions, no, it had not. It- Sort of made me stop and think because I hadn't it hadn't occurred to me at all that that would be applied more broadly. Again, my my own thinking, my own you know, like when I was coming up with that talk, and I had help. It was very, as you can tell, it's very personal. You know, it's very, it's individualistic. It's very focused on it internally. Okay, how do I look at myself in the mirror? You know, that's a, that's a talk you can give in the mirror. That's that's not a talk you need to give necessarily to bigger groups or Congress. 
right? But it's interesting to me that, well, first of all, the first thing I thought was I am not the right guy to be sharing that, you know, I am a, you know, I'm an imperfect vessel for that message. That's for sure. But so are we all, I suppose. It's interesting that it is, it is more broadly applicable. I think that in all of our lives, whether it's one lived with a disability, you know, born in a certain place, born in a certain time, all of those are sort of the same, that they offer the individual the same question, right? Because they, they, everyone just gets, just appears at some point in the timeline in a given situation. And we don't get to pick it as far as we can tell. As far as I can tell, we don't get to pick. And you're given a handful of talents and a handful of abilities and circumstances. And we're all given that. And life is what happens as we figure out how to struggle through that and try and orient ourselves toward what we think the good is and what we want to accomplish. And I suppose it does, it, it starts at the individual level and, and with us, us as, you know, single people. And then it, you can extrapolate outward from there. And then, and then that's what results in culture and society and values and all these things. And that, I guess you, you drew a much grander conclusion than I had ever thought of, but I also don't disagree. Go on. Yeah. Well, no, I, you can tell it's such a big, big topic and big, big conclusion that, you know, again, I don't disagree. Now my gut is to say, okay, Blake Haxton is not fit to be giving this type of lecture, you know, like the world's in really bad straits if Blake's the one that's got the thing that's going to fix it. I mean, we're just forget about it. We're doomed. But, you know, to the extent that, I mean, first of all, we are all doomed, like at some level, like, you know, we're all, and I don't, I, I'm being facetious, but, you know, we only have so long, you know, we're all trying to optimize within pretty tight constraints. And you can either accept that and optimize within it, or you can deny it and you know, keep banging your head against the wall. It's like jumping off a roof to disprove gravity. You're not going to disprove gravity. You're going to prove gravity and break yourself. And the quicker we figure out that the laws are what they are, the better. And for me, you know, one of the things that I, when I finally, I say finally, it was a process, accepted what reality looked like from, you know, okay, here's what I am capable of. And I figured out what I wasn't capable of and just took that off the menu. Quit looking at it. It's not helpful. Stop thinking about these things that are not options because all you're going to do is reminisce over them or feel like a victim or whatever. And it's just not, nothing good comes of that. Um, and I say that having done it at plenty of times, wasted a lot of time doing it. You know, only put things on the, on the menu that are options. And once I got better at that and I'm still trying to improve, my quality of life went up 10 times. Because it, you know, I stopped thinking about, oh, well, I'd like to do this, but can't. So well, yeah, I'd like to fly too. But the only reason I'd, I'm not bummed about you know, fly, you know, let's say like- Yeah, with you know, your wings. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. You know, yeah. yeah, Superman style. Yeah, I'd really like to fly too. But I suspect the reason I'm not terribly disappointed I can't is because no one else can either, right? Which is really an interesting thing to think about, right? Like, what if, like, here's a counterfactual. What if every single person was born without legs and that's just how people went through life? Same condition I'm in. Well, there probably wouldn't be all that many people, you know, fumbling around saying, man, it'd be great if I could walk. But the facts would be the exact same as my life now. So maybe the solution is I just don't need to draw that comparison. Like there's no, it's not written anywhere that I have to compare my life to somebody who could do my life walking. It's just not. That's a jump I don't, that's a leap I don't have to make, no pun intended. 
And as I got better and better at that, it makes me more and more self-aware of, okay, here's what I am able to do and the things I am not able to do, I'm just not going to pay attention to. And they're not going to get a lot of mental, they're not going to get any mind share because they're not positive. As a matter of fact, they absolutely detract from the things that I want to get done. So I think that's sort of at the heart of that, of that message. And it is, when I read your email, it did, that was the thing that sort of resonated with on the environmental impact. It's like, well, you know, we can deny or ignore or wish we, one, we could either wish these things weren't true, that we weren't, we didn't live in a constrained environment, that the second law of thermodynamics wasn't what it is and go about your day. You could, but again, now we're back to absurdities. Or you could say, this is the only thing that matters. I'm going to pursue this idea with a single-minded purpose to the exclusion of anything else of value I may find relevant for myself or anything else. Seems like both are wrong, right? Now, we're sort of back to where we started and then, okay, well, how then shall we act? But we're again, we're trying to optimize amongst a whole family of variables that all tie together. And then we're trying to arrive at a course of action that the, the single person can take that will actually make a difference. And I think as I wrestle with that, and it's iterative, you have to do it every day and you have to do it over and over again. And I think we have, I think a greater humility with around understanding those problems for myself, just again, purely speaking in the first person has been really valuable because, you know, the, the, the older we get, the, the more I, more I figure out what my limitations are. And I want to take as much responsibility as I can for myself and the world around me, but I really don't want to take any more than I can handle. Because if you do that, you're bound to end up crushing yourself and not getting everything out of yourself you can. And that's how I, you're not comparing you know, to someone else, not, not adjusted for a disability or an environment or whatever. But I want to really try and strike that balance. And I haven't done it yet, but that's what I'm aiming for. So anyway, tying that back to your idea of, you know, getting back to what I was trying to get at in my TED talk and, and how it has broader implications. That's kind of what resonated with me. And I hadn't really drawn those connections before until you, until you suggested that. What you just said if, was, if I could snap my fingers and magically have everyone in the world either get that or get all the wind power, wind, windmills and solar panels that they could to get all the power that they use right now, I would pick them getting what you got because that once they have that, then all the constraints will only help them figure out how to, how to. First of all, I really appreciate you saying that. Second of all, you know, the other thing, and I, I, the other thing is, I think in some, you know, some, some people I think approach environmentalism, you know, with a capital E and say, well, it's too big of a problem. We can't solve it. And, you know, maybe the individual can't, but to your point, let's say we figure out the environment. Let's say we at, let's say we get down to the molecule, the amount of CO2 and greenhouse gases in the atmosphere that optimizes for our existence on planet earth. There's going to be another problem after that. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, to, and that, that, that's one of the things that I, I really found so cool about when, when you were saying these things and, and your approach in general, it's like, well, okay, what set of, what set of valuable, what framework can we as people take into our environment that is robust enough that after we solve this problem, it's going to help us deal with the next problem, which will inevitably come up, right? And I think if we get that right, 
then that, to your point, I think that is more valuable. And and I hadn't really connected those dots either because we view some of these these big societal level issues as as independent to some extent they are, but the common variable is us. And if the mindset we take into these different problems is good and accurate and our model of dealing with these things is correct, then we're going to be able to do anything. And that's pretty exciting because then, and, you, and you've told us, okay, there's the adventure part, right? Like if we can straighten out which, which mousetrap we're going to use to solve this, then maybe we can take it and solve something else. And I mean, that, that is just, you know, I think back to, you've probably read this where we had an environmental crisis in, in the cities in the early, to, certainly the early 20th century and late 19th century where you know, horse manure was basically killing everyone. <laughs> Uh, I'm exaggerating, but you know there was so much of it because there were so many horses around that cities were rapidly becoming unlivable and were just hives of disease. Right? Well, ironically, the thing that solved that environmental crisis, and that's not an overstatement, it was an environmental crisis, was the gasoline-powered automobile, right? Like, I would say not solved, but dispersed. Well, it solved that problem. Yeah, it solved the immediate, it, it, it yeah, dispersed yeah, yeah. it. it. It put it up in the air. And Well, no, I guess... I, I hear what you're saying. I guess I would say, I mean, there's a lot of biological things that come out of horses that a smaller, having a smaller number of horses, I do think sort of permanently. Say. I mean, don't get me wrong. I go to New York today and I'm, I'm worried about, yeah, the air we breathe isn't that clean, but I'm not worried about getting E. coli yeah. walking down the street. You know what, you know what I mean? Um, and I don't mean, I don't mean to stretch the analogy too far, but I mean, okay, well, what if that innovative spirit where we're, we can look for solutions in it's seemingly far away disciplines can, you know, you mentioned battery powered planes and things like this. And this is pretty incredible. Maybe we can, we can take that attitude and solve some other things. And then, like I say, that reincorporates the sense of adventure and that, that I think we're all looking for at some level. So I want to, I think walking through that process that I described, I want to do that with you the, from before I hit record. But before I do that, I want to wrap up something from when we were talking about teamwork earlier, because if I don't ask it now, I'll forget. Uh, not, I won't forget, but it will get wrapped up in, in, cause I think you doing this process will lead you to answering some of the questions that you've been thinking about. Cause the doing do is what makes it happen. I've rode on my rowing machine, a couple of marathons. I've done the two Ks and things like that, but I've not been on the water and I've not rode with seven other guys. And when I hear the description, if I look at people rowing, it looks like everyone's doing the exact same thing. It doesn't seem like a team sport from the outside where everyone's doing and I presume that you've been on a boat with seven other guys in a coxswain. And what's that feeling when you hit that rhythm? Is that, I mean, what's it like when the team really hits it? It's very hard to describe. You know, it's the old Potter Stewart. I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, well, that's really the extent of it because it does feel like, and you know, rowing of all the sports where it looks like it's just a sum of the parts, rowing to me still looks that way. Right. You say, okay, you get eight guys in the boat doing the same thing and one guy driving. Just real hard. Yeah, that's it. Pull hard. And it's, you know, you know, individual A times effort of individual A, you're good. You know, like that's that's the result, right? And all I can say is I don't when you're in it and it's going on, it just doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like it's eight independent entities going at it. It does feel like you've unlocked something that is that none of you could have approached individually. And that is not just the sum of the eight individual efforts. And I can't give you more than that. Is it a transcendent experience? Yeah, I would say that. From what you're describing, I feel like when you cross the finish line, 
say you come up first or better than you've ever done as a team, I feel like the urge to hug each other must be tremendous. And it must be almost frustrating to be stuck in your seat that you can't like. Oh, it is. You just, the, it's this inherent bonding effect that goes on. It's just, you know, it's, I mean, it's how I built some of the most meaningful friendships I have to this day. And part of that process too, is you don't, you know, in a sport like rowing, you have to go through so many really crummy practices to get to a good one that the good one, I mean, it's just like, I mean, and this is, this is very common. You'll, you'll talk to rowers and you say, Hey, talk to me about how you, you know, learned the sport and they'll go for years and they'll say, well, you know, I kind of enjoyed it. I was out with my friends, you know, I was, it was a good workout or whatever. And then they might say, you know, yeah, but there was this time a couple of years into it when I was in this one boat and it was only for practice and we're, we're going along and I don't know what it was. I can't quite tell you how we figured it out, but we figured it out and it just felt, we'd never gone that fast and it just felt easy. It just felt like the boat took over and it did exactly what it wanted to do. And that was it. Didn't need to think about it. Didn't need to, you know, change what we were doing. It just worked. And I, to this day, I can think of, and we were a bunch of high school students and like candidly, like mediocre athletes as these things go. But I can remember out of you know, rowing fall, rowing seven seasons of rowing practice, five or six, that I can honestly say I would do that again. If I could, the rest of them you could keep because it was just kind of whatever. But there were five or six times where I thought, wow, this is, this is something different. And, uh, and when you, not only when you accomplish that, but then you realize how much struggle it took to get there and how you hard you all had to work and focus to get there. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better than that. I mean, it's, it is cool to see, I think, and I think rowers will tell you this, how close knit rowing teams can end up becoming, or they kill each other. You know, that's another <laughs> option. I mean, lots of teams end up in that, that, uh, that scenario too. But anyway, thank you for letting me wax poetic about that. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small, it doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. You're making me think of, one, I got to get on the water. Oh, yeah. Two, there's a moment, I played Ultimate Frisbee, made Nationals and Worlds a couple times, and this one time I'm, I'm running down the field, the disc is way ahead of me. I have to lay out. And so in my mind, like I can, I can see my hand catching the disc in front of me and fa- like straight line ahead of me is my teammate whose nickname was Potato, Tato. And he was open in the moment, but I can't throw it because I'm, I'm like three feet in the air. I got to land, get up. But I also knew exactly like his guys got to overcommit to cover him because he's so open. That means he's going to be open. I knew, ex- like I knew exactly where he would be I could have closed my eyes at that point. And he catches in the back corner of the the end zone. Exactly. It was like transcendent. (laughs) It is. It's like when people say, I had a few people, and this this was not the case for my races in Tokyo, by the way. I did not know how they were going to go. And they didn't feel all that, you know, they were good, but they weren't perfect. Mm -hmm. And it's a little different being on your own. But some people, 
for those moments they say, well, were you, were you confident? Did you think it would work? And in those rare occasions, I just say, well, confident isn't really the right word. I just knew it would work. Mm. You know, like it didn't, it wasn't me amping myself up. Like, you know, there are days where it, it you almost, and it sounds, you know, you almost can't describe it without sounding terribly arrogant where you just say, well, no, no, it was like you say, no, I, I knew he was going to be there. I could like, it's not, you know, I'm not just trying to sound good. I knew he was going to be open and I knew exactly how I had to, where I needed to put it. And I knew I could do that. So I just did it. Yeah. And it just, it, you know, people talk about being in the zone. People talk about flow, people, have all these concepts of what that, that's like, and I've only gotten even close on a handful of times, mm-hmm. but man, it really makes you come back for more, doesn't it? Yeah. And I do all these burpees and everyone's like, oh yeah, you don't do it when you're sick, right? I mean, you don't do it when you're like really tired. That's everything else is training. Like the post-marathon burpees are brutal and their life experience. That's the phrase I have for it is that's when I meet myself. I've peeled away all the layers of like, how do I want people to see me? And I said I would do X and it's really hard. And I'm glad I asked this because what, what you're talking about this is what it's a solution to the environmental problem. And the more that we say, everyone has to come up with some moonshot. I agree. Moonshots are going to be very useful and that's got a role. And it's separating from the more that we connect with each other, the more that we, the teamwork, the more that we gel and practice together. And all the times that like I talk to, now I talk to people a lot more about when to plant this vegetable and how to get rid of the spider mites. And that's, you know, John Wooden, when he coached, you know, first practice is how to put on your socks, how to tie your shoes. Yeah, that's what wins. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, having Kareem Abdul-Jabbar doesn't hurt. But, <laughs> oh, but you know, he was winning first. Right. Tying right, the shoes right. got you, Kareem. That's I mean, true. They, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, I yeah, I, I love John Wooden. I uh, I don't mean at all to make a make a joke out of that point. You're absolutely right. Hey enthusiasm and industriousness, the cornerstones of the pyramid of success. Yeah. Got that banged into my head as a, you know, middle school basketball player. And I loved it. Thank God. Cause it was true. Uh, no. And it's, you know, there's another thing that occurs to me a little bit as I'm just sitting here thinking about that sort of transcendent feeling. There is an element in everything we do of, and I think this is one of the more abused words in the English language right now, but faith in the sense that, you know, I don't, you, know, you go out to practice, you don't know, what's going to happen, right? You don't know that you're going to get that. You don't know the guy's going to be open in the back of the end zone, but based on everything you've learned so far and based on your own experience, it's a reasonable possibility. And so you go for it. Uh, And I think a little bit too much, my first boss was fond of saying, there's no such thing as a future fact. And I like that because it engenders this, this realistic humility of, you know, yeah, there's always going to be a good reason something could fail. That's how things go. There's always going to be a good reason that, you know, not to do something, so to speak. But we have to act anyway. And we have to take responsibility for the unknown. And that's something else that's coming through in this. Because I know a lot of these arguments like, well, but what if, you know, there's just a lot of what if out there. You know, like, well, I appreciate you telling me to do this and maybe it'll work out, but maybe it won't. So I'm just going to do my do my thing. Yeah, I appreciate that. But, you know, we have to accept that, you know, as we act in the world, there's going to be an incredible degree of uncertainty. I'm running on faith. I mean, it's right? all faith. That's what it is. And that's what your talk was. I mean, you said faith, family, you didn't say humor, but I thought humor. No, but that's, I would wrap that up in all three, honestly. Mm. You know, I mean. All right. So let's do this process. What, yeah. 
when you think about the environment, what do you think about? What, what motivates you to, when you do anything that in your mind is like to improve the environment? I don't mean what's your goal. I don't mean the future of what you're trying to achieve, but what in your heart is already there. You know, one of the, I think about a clean dock, to be honest, because the river I row on is not, you talk about a microcosm of the environment and things. It's really nice to get out on the river and have a dock that doesn't have any goose droppings on it or whatever. And that's its own problem. But, you know, there's no, there's no litter that floats, you know, floated down the river and got stuck on it. There's no coffee cup sitting there. There's no, even, even, you know, biological waste of, you know, dead animals or (laughs) dead fish or what, you know, take your pick. There's all sorts of unpleasant things out there, but that's when I, in in my mind of what image, you know, I have in my own life of like, wow, I'm out, you know, I'm, I'm outside in nature and this is really pleasant. That's what I think of. And we have a very scenic spot to row, but the water quality is like, you know, take it or leave it. And every once in a while, based on how much it's rained and what the flow is of the river and all that kind of thing, uh, you get a really clean, you know, environment and clean water and clean, you know, a nice day to paddle. And that just makes it so much more special. You know, I don't need to tie it to an earlier point. I certainly don't need to go compete at the Paralympics to get, get the enjoyment of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm thinking back to your sledding hill analogy. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what I'm fixated on. And like, that's my sledding hill. I'm also thinking you're in Ohio and it's hard not to think of rivers in Ohio on fire, the Cuyahoga or something that. Oh yeah. The old Cuyahoga. There's actually a, yeah. Well, yeah. And so you get to this dock and it's clean. What, what are the emotions that you feel? What does it make you want to do? You know, it, it's such a peaceful feeling. And one of the ironies of that to me is that it's so simple. One of, like, one of the things I can't separate being the dock from being in my canoe or being in the boat or in a single canoe is a little better that everything out here is under my influence and control. Like this boat's not going to move, but for what I do to it. And I know what I need to do to get it to move down the river. But it's also very, you know, put the paddle in, pull, take it out, do it again. There's something very peaceful about that. And to do it in a flat, calm, clean piece of water, you, know, you have these moments, and they're rare, but you think, wow, this is so simple. You know, I didn't, and we've talked, you've alluded to this type of thing quite a bit, I think quite rightfully so. And it, it's, wow, this isn't, this isn't all that complicated. I didn't need to go halfway around the world and all these kind of things. Like, this is just a very simple, pure, I don't, I don't like the word pure necessarily because it dies to death a thousand qualifications, but man, it's really, it's really serene. And, and that, that gets to me. I got a peaceful, easy feeling. <laughs> That's it, man. That's why Is they, that the uh, Doobie Brothers or the, the Eagles? Because I'm already standing on the ground. That's that's it. I got peace like a river down in my soul. The serenity, the peace, the simplicity. Based on these feelings and this experience, I invite you, and this is at your option, to think of something to do to act on those things, to manifest those in your life. So you can let aside fixing the world. It's not about that. It may fix the world, but that's not the goal. It's just to manifest those things in some way that you're not already doing, that you do with your own hands, and that you're not already doing. Now, most people takes a second to come up with it. It takes a little back and forth sometimes. I say it's going to take me a second. Oh, and one other constraint: it has to. It does have to have some physical component where it makes the world, in your opinion, a better place. So, okay. not okay. just reading a book or watching a documentary. Yeah. Right, right, right. Now, the magnitude of the effect 
is immaterial. Big, small, doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, same with the time. It could be long, could be short. Hmm. Thinking through all the things I wish, you know, occasionally when it doesn't work out, how can we prevent those things from, you know, manifesting? It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to solve the world's problems. Because a lot of people start thinking, how can I, fl-? but it's how can, I, how can I bring more serenity? How can I bring more peace, simplicity, something like that? Now you really got me. See, this is one of the things I was worried about. You really got me thinking, you know, how do I amplify that? How do I manifest that in a way I'm not already doing? Because I'm starting to think maybe that's, that it's, yeah, well, we get to the details that, you know, my immediate environment around the river and the boatyard, you know, wheelchair that I use is a little bit constrained, but doesn't mean I couldn't manifest it somewhere else, right? Maybe you, you borrow those ideas and, and move them over. Yeah, I got to keep thinking about it. I don't mean to, don't mean to leave you hanging here. The back and forth usually gets it more than just abstract thinking. Yeah, because you know one of the like one of the things that and we've tried a few different solutions to this. And I don't have one. It's keeping the geese off the dock, mm-hmm. and that sounds like kind of a ridiculous thing, but it's you know it's it's a health concern. You know, it can be, and it it ends up tearing up the dock too. And yeah, I don't know what to do about that. We've tried a few different solutions, but it would make things better. And it's hardly hurting the geese. They have the whole river; they're going to be fine. So yeah, I, I don't know. That would be if I could wave. If I could do one thing, and I think it's probably doable. Maybe it hasn't occurred to me yet. I would say I'd love to keep the geese off that little patch of wood floating in the water. That would be. I think that would make things a little better. And not just you know. Too, one of the things that I, I guess I like about this idea is I'm not the only one that uses it, right? You know, if I could figure out how to solve that problem, then you know, hundreds of high schoolers that go off that same dock wouldn't have to deal with it, and you know, and the rest of it. So that would be, you know, that'd be a pretty good, and as you pointed out, it doesn't have to be a big impact, but I would, I'd really feel good about that. I don't know. I'm open to suggestions. So there's a couple of things that take that and the thought of how do I solve the problem forever is usually debilitating. How can I solve it once or how can I solve a part of it or solve a similar situation? Or It's usually, oh, the next step is to make it a SMART goal, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound. I'm sure you've come across the acronym before. You know, here's here's maybe something that I've I've thought about and I've just sort of neglected because it would take a little bit of work. Is they make all these manual water pumps, right? That you can essentially use to walk. You know, you throw the throw a feed hose into the water and and suck it up, and then use that as the hose to wash off whatever you have on the river. You know, you're, you're using river water to wash off your, your thing floating in the river. And I've never bellied up to the bar and just gotten one. Or you know to use it because it would it would you know to your point on a given morning you know a few minutes of that would go a long way actually that would help someone else and I could easily keep it in the trunk of my car which I park right park right next to the dock and that would make it a little easier on me and a little better on everyone else and I think you know, even from a wheelchair I think I could do that I'm pretty confident I can manage that and you know it'd be pretty neat you know if myself and maybe a couple other people kind of got the same idea I'll bet we could could kind of put it in and like you say it wouldn't solve it forever. But that's actually something I've thought about before. Of man, if I just put a little more effort into this, you know, this would be a little, be a little healthier, be a little safer for everybody, and it'd be just a little more, a little more peaceful to show up to a nice, clean place to put your boat instead of, you know, kind of a junked up one. So let's let's make it specific and and so what would you specifically do? First thing I would need is to find, and I know, I, I know these exist, a manual hand driven water pump that you can use to clean, you know, just, well, really anything with a hose, I guess. We actually have a few that we use to empty our launches when they fill up with rainwater, but those, those aren't quite big enough to get the job done. 
So I'd have to get one of those. And I don't think those are terribly expensive. You know, that would be a pretty, pretty light lift, all things considered. And then I'd have to take it with me. I might even be able to store it down there. There are a few ways to keep, you know, I wouldn't have to always keep it with me. Just put it in a lockbox down there. And, you know, that way I or even someone else could use it to straighten things up. But that'd be step one. Get a hold of one, know how to use it, and then put it in an accessible place that was repeatedly usable. So how long do you think it would be to for you to do something that if I asked, if I had you on a, a third time and asked you, how has that experience gone? Oh, uh, well, so that's a great question. It would take take about two weeks if I were on the water. And this time of year being October, uh-huh. I'm pretty much done until the spring. Uh-huh. You know, if we were sitting here in June and I said, oh, I could get a hold of one of these and do it next week, it'd be two weeks. But at the moment, it's six months. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. That's probably not the answer you were looking for. Well, then a part of me is thinking, I mean, I'm thinking any chance of you getting into the water anyway, <laughs> but I'm also thinking, is there one we could do between now and spring? Mm. We could start earlier. Oh, I mean, almost certainly, but I could, you know, I'd have to, you know, maybe that sort of asks a different question to me in the sense that, and I haven't solved this yet, but, you know, one of this, and this is, this, this comes with, well, one being in Ohio and winters are not all that fun, but um, also being in a wheelchair, getting outside in the winter is not the easiest thing or the most pleasant. But I suspect maybe that's just a lack of effort on my part. I mean, that that is something that I've I've thought of in my own, and I try and, you know, a lot of times work will take me out of the state in the winter, and that's nice to get get out. But like last year, I really felt it. You know, I was inside, you know, out disconnected from nature and everything for about six months, uh, which is normal in Ohio. You know, from call it November to April. Uh, I guess that's not six, but. I would really like to, and just this summer, I found a park next to my house. That's not, it's close. It's got a seven or eight mile walking trail as a bike trail that I can take my wheelchair on and just get out and actually get into the woods. And I haven't been in the woods, like really in the woods in 10 years. And I forgot how much I enjoyed it. I mean, it really, I mean, I think a lot of people feel this way, but wow, it just really, it's really refreshing, really changed the, changed my mood for the day. It was fantastic. So that I would like in the next six months, and I know this is maybe not, doesn't really change anything, but I would like to find something else that I enjoyed doing that didn't you know, kill me. It's another way to enjoy the outdoors and enjoy nature in the short run. That's something that I've, I've enjoyed a lot more than I thought I would recently. And I'd like, to, I would, you know, I'd like to be able to sit here and say, well, I don't need to wait until the river thaws or it's not freezing to get back out and do the things I enjoy. And I don't have a good answer for that yet, but I guess that's something that now that I'm thinking about it, I really need to devote more time to because the benefits so far outweigh the costs that you know, that would have a big impact on me. The benefits of being in nature. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't want to go another, you know, five or six months of you know being inside and not, and not at least moving, being out, you know, out, out and seeing something, you know, seeing a tree, you know, <laughs> something to that effect. I don't know. That's, I know that doesn't come to a sharp conclusion on your point, but that's about all I, maybe all I can offer at this point is, you know, it's a problem. It's a nut I haven't cracked in 10 years and it's not an easy one to crack either. Uh, but, but it's something that I, I guess I haven't really, you know, you talk about dismissing problems as too big before you really try and solve them. Maybe that's what I'm doing on this one. That's the value of this exercise. It's like doing, yeah. because yeah. I know that when I have you back, I don't want to lead the witness too much you. here. But I suspect you're going to come back and say, I wish I'd done this earlier. And now that I've done this, I see a lot of other things like that are... I suspect that's true. And I just posted on my blog, a um, it links to 
I don't know if you know Dr. Michael Greger, he's been a guest and he, he did a video on, on he's got nutritionfacts.org. Okay. He did a video on forest bathing. So they do research that like huh. people go out in the woods, it's prescribed. And in, I think he talked about Japan. It's pretty common. Like it's something that people do and it's measurably, it measurably improves health. Like it's huh. not just like, it feels nice. I mean, it does feel nice and yeah, right. it feels nice because it's healthy. So now when someone does something that's purely their own enjoyment of nature, then usually that's combined. If that usually doesn't pass the test of it's right. improving something, but right. if it's instead of doing something else, if like, I'm going to replace, like people do this exercise back to me because I lead all these workshops with corporations and, and communities. And so when there's an odd number of people, someone's paired up with me, I do it with them and then they do it back to me. So I'm constantly coming up with new things. So one of them was actually, I was in Philadelphia recently and it was to go to the sledding hill with my father because I was visiting there. And oh. now that alone wouldn't, Passed the test. So I was also not doing something else that would have taken power. Okay. So it, had we decided to watch TV together and instead we go out and walking in the park, that does it because we're not watching the TV. Oh man. I mean, if that's, if that's the hurdle, then yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I mean, I read a lot of books, but other than that, I mean, those six months inside, I'm either on my rowing machine, lifting or in front of a screen. I mean, that'd be a, it's hard to imagine how replacing some of that, you know, I, cause I wouldn't give up. Cause here's the other thing. I, I wouldn't give up reading. So that's a that for work. And I also enjoy it. And I wouldn't give up working out that, you know, that's a non-negotiable. And it's also a fixed time frame. So the time would definitely also the one I'd like to give up is this. I mean, I never, you know, you sit there and, you know, watch a football game or whatever. And I enjoy that, but I wouldn't miss it. Um, it's hardly the highest and best use. So that's definitely where it would come from. That's the, that, if I could, if I could just find something to replace, that would be the first thing for sure. So if you're replacing screen time with outdoors time and I'll let you figure out if you're driving around to get there, that's, I'll let you work that one out. Yeah. There's a, you know, yeah. Point taken. There's gotta be, you know, there's and a, there might be stuff close by that you didn't realize. Right. Right. Or the, that would, then that would fit the bill. And okay. you said you'd do it within six months. Is there, can we schedule a second conversation? I'd like to hear soon, as soon as you can but I don't want to rush the process. It's, it's your timeline. I want to give myself, you know, enough time to answer your question. And I've, I really just enjoyed talking with you. So it's uh, it won't be that hard to get me back. I, I assure you, but yeah, you know what? I will look at the schedule and we'll straighten it out and I will come back. Okay. Um, and I no, I don't think it'll be six months. I'll bet we can do it inside of that. That's this process that I talk about that gets people from solving all the world's problems to enjoying life more. And I really like that. Doing it, I'm partly doing this because I think that the connection that I made from hearing your TEDx talk and also your talk today, which was, I mean, it was, Victor Frankl is not alive today. We're not going to hear him talking, right. uh, but he wrote about love and bliss and that was, he lived it. I wasn't there. So I only have, well, he read my interpretation of it, but, and there was no special, he was a human being just like us. And, you know, I envision coming out of this, the small effect will be, you're going to enjoy going in nature a bit more. Maybe, I mean, maybe a lot, but I think the bigger piece is that you're going to, I'm not banking on, but I I suspect that the connection that I saw is going to be more apparent to you. Why did you give the TEDx talk? You have a message, I think. Why do you enjoy sharing with me to this audience? Is there something driving you? Probably. I mean, hopefully it's not just hearing myself talk. Although, you know, maybe. (laughs) You don't know. If I had to, what I'd, I would really like if if I could encourage people, and you could use that in the broadest sense, 
you know, if I could be a great, like if people knew me as a great encourager, you talk about leave the world better than you found it. Like if that was my reputation, if that was the only thing people, you know, people came across Blake and like, doesn't, you know, keep the metal, keep, you know, keep the school, keep all of that. You know, it's like, wow, I, you know what? I, I ran into Blake today and he just kind of, you know, picked, you know, it, it felt like a pick me up, you know, occasionally that does happen. And people come away and then people say, man, just really enjoyed our conversation. You know, I just felt like, you know what? I can, it's not so bad. I'll be okay. You know, I can, I can get going. Man, I love that. I love that, that, you know, people can, can walk away from an interaction with me or something I said, or just hanging out and just be a little lighter, you know, feel like the, the burden's not so heavy. I, Cause I, you know, and I, I think I told you this last time, but we've all got our burdens to bear. We've all got our, our crosses to carry. And, you know, I guess, I think I said mine, mine's more obvious than most folks, right? You know, amputation's pretty easy to see. It's easy to see what I'm struggling with. Um, most people don't, you know, you'll never know what people are dealing with. That's just that's the, the nature of it. But I've gotten so much more of an appreciation that everybody's dealing with something. And if they're not, they will soon because that's just life. And so I've got so much conviction that everybody, no matter their situation in life, you know, no matter their no matter their income level, their health, their location, they could use some encouragement. You know, in some in some area of their life, they 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 could use somebody kind of picking them up and pushing them forward a little bit. And if I could be that guy, man, that that's a good day to me. And I, I want to keep getting better at that. And because you know, here's the other thing, I need it. You know, I, I I worry sometimes that I well, I worry a lot that I come on these things and and talk with people like yourself, and it's like, oh, you know, Blake's got you know, it's, you know it sounds like I've got it figured out or lived this out perfectly. It couldn't be further from the truth. You know, I mean, maybe I think I think maybe half of this is I tell other people because I need to hear it, and that I benefit probably more than they do. <laughs> maybe that's the explanation right there. Um, but that's a long answer to your question. That's what I would really enjoy doing, and uh, and if that's what people can take away, you know, from from the TED talk or from from our, our interaction or anything like that, that would make me feel really good. I'm sure you've read my mission on my on my. Oh yeah my webpage and as should everyone who's listening by the way <laughs> Shame, shameless plug <laughs> <laughs> the burden i want to change culture from expecting burden i used to say to bring joy fun freedom community connection meaning and purpose but then i realized some people joy and fun and freedom aren't their thing but lightness or it's rewarding emotion it's it's something that they'll like that they'll wish they'd started earlier and that's what's burdening that, that that expectation of burden and that expectation of heaviness that I, and and that's what's keeping our values stuck in addiction to the things we're addicted to and I think yeah that I think that what will, the main thing that will come from your time in the woods is the recognition of how to give that encouragement to the world I mean seven point nine billion people. Well, okay. It's not that many because as people point out to me, about half the people are below average in terms of their pollution levels and many people, you know, at sustainable levels. And it's really more like a billion people that are really like, and and you only need a, a fraction of them to really shift before the rest will get the picture. And they associate, they, as you said, they, they didn't choose to pollute they choose to do something that they enjoy and they associate not polluting with a lack of the thing that they enjoy. And that lack is, they're not going to miss it for like, go for a month without putting salt on your food. The beginning of the month, 
everything tastes bland. At the end, you put the old amount of salt on you. And, ah, how, how did they do this? Right. Ben and Jerry's does not. Apples taste sweeter than Ben and Jerry's to me now, even though Ben hmm. and Jerry's has significantly more sugar. Interesting. Yeah. And I speak as someone who had Ben and Jerry's for, you know, I always had ice cream in my freezer. It was just that. That's what, you know, and, and I always felt like, ah, oh, I had all these rules, like don't eat too much per, per day because, and I felt guilty, but the feelings of guilt made me think about it. And then I'd eat it. Right. And in the moment of eating, it, I was like, ah, oh, so good. And then immediately after I'm like, ah, oh, no, not no more. I've never felt that way with spinach. I'm not like, what have I done? Right. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Like, right. How did it boil down to so little? I, I, I need more. I want more. You're right. Yeah. It's, it's a heck of a thing to eat. I told someone just yesterday, as a matter of fact, that I said, it's, it's sad, but there are very few things in life you can, or relatively few things, sadly few things, that feel good while you're doing them that are also in your long-term mm-hmm. best interest for your health, right? But if you can, amp- to the extent you can amplify those things, wow, I mean, that's, talk about having your cake and eating it too, or maybe the opposite of that, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, that's, that's phenomenal. Like you said, the, the spinach, and I, I actually really, it's funny you said spinach, I, I don't care for raw spinach, mm-hmm. but if you cook down some spinach and put a little garlic, like, garlic, little little garlic, little yeah, I actually like uh, and it's probably isn't healthy. I know it's got a lot of salt in it. But Montreal steak seasoning, huh. which maybe that's in the category of thing, you know seasonings I need to get away from. I was actually going to say a little like tomato sauce. Just I mean, you can I mean that's like you say I'll eat that you know twice a day and you you'll feel better and you'll never notice it. Yeah, and. There's a very high correlation between the things that aren't particularly healthy and we do regret and pollution. And then the things here, I was phrase it like things that no one on the deathbed said too much of that, right? Dancing, singing, time with right. family, you know, walking in the woods. No one, it was like, you know, I wish I, I sang so much. I danced too much. I don't think anyone's ever done that. I mean, maybe if it was someone who was like a professional dancer and it was their job. Yeah, you can imagine, you know, we could, you could. Yeah, edge re- cases are always there. Yeah, right. Reductio ad absurdum, right? You can, we could probably find one, but no, I mean, I, I think your point stands well established. And these things are very rarely polluting things. Well, to your, to your point, it's like, okay, well, yeah, we could argue the edge cases around dancing, but let's go the other way and say like, well, you know, I really wish I'd binged one more season of whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, if you, instead of things you wish you would have done more of, things you wish you would have avoided. That's a long and uncontroversial list. Yeah. If, if we have less of social media as one manifestation of this, there'll be more community theater. More, oh, yeah. When I talk to actors about that, what you taught, that transcendent, that, that, that's there too. It's in, in dancing. It, yeah. We can reach these levels of um, what you can't put into words right. in many different places. Sports is a big one. The military sounds like it's like off the charts. Although I'm not, I'm not saying let's have more wars in order to get that. No, no, right. But but that type of teamwork and all the arts, I think, have it in some way. Education, when it really clicks. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I have a uh, well, it's just a poster because I'm not going to pay for painting. But I have, I love the romantic landscapes from the late. Now I'm really being a nerd, but from the late, you know, the Hudson River School, Hudson River School, Ashcan. Yeah. Okay. So I've got, I've got a few posters from, uh, Albert Bierstadt mm-hmm. and, you know, his like, you know, looking down the Yosemite and things like that yeah. in, in my house. And I just, the reason I'm bringing it up, as you say, in the arts, it's like, and I, 
you know, somebody asked me like, oh, it's a really cool painting. Why'd you get it? So, you know, and I haven't been to Yosemite in particular. I said, you know what, this, it's so unusual that you see a piece of art that you feel like is more real than the real thing. You know, you ever, well, that's the art. That's the, that's the... it. Right. It's like, how can it, how can it be? It's, it's, it's paint. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's ink in a poster, but there's something behind this that almost feels like it's a more true representation of the thing that than experiencing it in person in some dimension. I don't mean to overstate it, but anyway, I, I couldn't agree more. I went hiking with a friend of mine. We took the train up along the Hudson River and we're hiking along the Hudson. This is right by West Point. Okay. And beautiful area. Stunning. And, you know, I'm picking up litter because that's what I do and it's there. We get to this little promontory and we sit down to have some, have a bite to eat. And there's no one around. And I mean, as we're hiking, it's not really hiking because it's not going up and down. There's not much elevation, but it's really stunningly beautiful. And we see a couple of people here and there, but as we sit down, there's no one around the land where we are. And we can see right across West Point is up there. This is bridge down below. Now, this is stunningly beautiful. People haven't been there. It's like cliffs on the other side. Now, and then people go by in jet skis. I think I would have fun if you were like, put a gun to my head and was like, Josh, get on the jet ski and have fun. And it's loud and noisy and distracts from the natural beauty. But also I'm trying to empathize with the person who bought these jet skis. And I can't help but think, this is my conclusion. Maybe it's something different. There is something that this person was trying to fill, an emptiness. And I believe that this probably deepened the hole. Like, oh, man. And I shudder to think, is this person going to then get a bigger boat, a more powerful, with a more powerful engine that goes faster? And no boat, no jet ski, I think will, it's just swimming. It's there. I mean, that's it. Well, I'll tell you what, that's at the very least a podcast for another day. Because <laughs> you're onto something <laughs> rather profound on that one. It's, I mean, the, the feeling of, of just the <laughs> oh. two-stroke engine, no doubt. Actually, I, I don't know. But those are the really loud ones that like yeah. spew out oil. Right. Uh, well, I'm going to leave this pregnant pause as you're... Yeah, I'm, I was going to say, I just... I. I have so many thoughts and some of the things I'd like to say, but again, I'm not going to articulate them quickly. And we've, I've put you through enough here today. <laughs> yeah. I hope that, I mean, listeners, they're, they're prone to seeing, is it over an hour? Uh, maybe another time, but if they're listening, then I, I presume, I can't imagine hearing some of the, when you talk, I mean, when you talked about a lot of the things you're, you're talking about your life, but it, I imagine everyone's hearing stuff from their life. And if they just get up to a, a certain part of this, they're going to be engaged to the whole thing. I hope so. But let's let's take this time to to wrap up and and we'll pick up next time. Uh, so after we hang up, then you and I will schedule the next thing. Let's do it. But hey, Josh, thank you for reaching out out of nowhere and seeing my talk and all your kind words. Uh, it is like I say, you know, I say I like to talk and be encouraging, but I was definitely encouraged by when you reached out and 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 uh, invited me on. So I appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, you're welcome. Yeah. And thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. I mean, the original, it came from Concept 2's n- newsletter. <laughs> and, you know, I just kind of skimmed some of them. And, and yeah, rowing is not for me what it is for you, but it's still a lot. Okay. And, and actually heading into the winter is, I mean, when it's not winter, I tend to run and bike more. So in the winter, it's a lot more rowing. So I'm starting my season. Very much the same. Yeah, totally. 
can certainly relate to that. So that's that's fantastic. Always nice to have that point of commonality. But uh, like I say, kept you enough today. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You bet. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.